Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast putting Christmas in danger through our ineptitude, but then saving it at the last minute every year. Today we're talking about the holiday canon of TV shows and films that people tend to return to time and time again. This is Mark Linsenmeyer, shunned by my toy-making society for wanting to be a philosopher. This is Erica Spires, excited to be having my first Christmas fight of the season. And I'm Brian Hurt. And honestly, we could just end this discussion right now with Robert Smigel's SNL short, Christmas Time for the Jews, but maybe let's talk a bit more. Are you starting with resentment about the emphasis in holiday specials on Christmas as opposed to Hanukkah? I'm already irritated that you called this the holiday canon instead of the Christmas canon. <laughs> yes, there's a war on Christmas, and yes, we're going to win it. But all right, let's talk about well, that later. Well, not necessarily Christmas canon, because like Christmas would talk about more so it being, yes, we talk about Christmas Day in a lot of the non-religious movies, but that would be more holiday than Christmas, no? Let's see. Let's find out. What are we talking about, Brian? What did you come up with here? Well, this idea of Christmas canon or holiday canon was Mark's. The idea that we have some set of, and I guess we're limiting ourselves to TV shows and movies, maybe TV specials and movies. I mean, it could be a drug. It could be that every Christmas you do heroin, but yes. Right. We're not talking about fruitcake and ugly sweaters and all the the things that are necessary for Christmas, but we're really looking at those shows that we watch that we associate with that it wouldn't be Christmas without it, without being able to to watch these things. Mark, the word canon was yours, but I was struggling with it a little bit. So I went ahead and dug this up out of the Oxford Dictionaries, this uh, definition 2.2 on lexico.com for canon, which reads, the list of works considered to be permanently established as being of the highest quality. And it's not the best, but it was actually the closest I could come to. Canon meaning liturgical law was way too strong for what we're talking about, the canon in the Bible, the books that are legit versus the Apocrypha, which are not, was, again, this is that's way too far on canon. I don't think that's what we're going with, but I still liked it, Mark. You know, we talk about cultural canon. For me, it comes up mostly with Star Wars, right? This idea of what constitutes a real Star Wars story and what is just a mythical story or something that was written to sell books between the movies or later on written to sell comic books that is not legitimate. So what are you guys looking at when we're talking about what constitutes canon in the context of the Christmas canon? Gee, I hadn't made that connection to the apocryphal versus is it officially part of the Doctor Who timeline or is it one of the movies that's not one of the real doctors in addition to the dozen real ones? I think we just have a tendency to want to canonize, to raise to a finite set of greats, just about everything. So you might think about rock bands, like, oh, the classic rock, it's the Beatles, Stones, and the Who, or something like that. And you could argue about whether the Kinks goes in that list or whether they're actually not that good. Yeah, so I was just thinking of it in that form, 
What's weird about this in particular is that, of course, everybody's family traditions are going to be a little bit different. I don't know whether most people consider the things that they return to every year. I think everybody tends to universalize their experience a little too much, like, and kind of assume that, you know, unless they know that this is a forgotten gem, that it's just an idiosyncratic tradition, that we always watch Rush Hour 3 or whatever at Christmas. Uh, what a random thing. Yeah, whether people project their own traditions in general and think that these are the norm, or in my case, when I was considering this, I was thinking mostly of the things that I was excited about as a kid, and I know some of them have persisted, and I know for a fact that many of them has not. Looking through these one of these articles, the first one, Primer TV Christmas Specials from AV Club, which went through all these Rankin-Bass things that I was excited about at the time. I'm sure most kids, certainly my kids, have not seen the vast majority of those at this point. So it is, you know, a strangely subjective, idiosyncratic thing for a term, as you point out, that's supposed to point at the universal, the agreed upon by everyone. Yeah. And I didn't grow up that much after you guys did, but definitely there were some things in my first thoughts of what it was canon to me. I kept thinking about further and was like, no, 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 this can't really count because I bet most people haven't seen this. And it started me thinking about like, what are the things that I know are popular, but I may not include some of those in my list because if I have no emotional connection to it, at least I'm a, I am a person who counts maybe. So I have to look at my own experience to a point. So I'm not just going to pick something because I assume that it's canon if I don't have an emotional connection to it. Because I assume that I haven't watched it or haven't watched it multiple times for a reason, whatever that reason may be. So yeah, I started categorizing what should be considered canon. Because I think we're looking at movies, we're looking at TV specials, right? And that is going to be quite different for everybody. And I will save more of my information on that until I get to give you my four. Very good, Erica. And yeah, Mark, this idea of universalizing that Erica built on, really, it's tricky because... I don't have a universal experience. I have my own. I have also heard other people's opinions, and in some case, I, I don't agree with them, but I hear them all the time. So I may lean towards naming something that I don't actually like, but I think everyone else likes. And this is really getting towards this process that we have laid out for today. We have a special game, I guess, that we're playing. We're going to try to build the Christmas canon ourselves based on what we think the most popular or beloved or whatever the that positive association that people have with these things. We're going to actually do a draft. And this is totally borrowing from the nice people at 538 and their politics podcast. So Nate Silver and crew, thank you for this. You've done this in the past and we're doing it now. We are going to do a snake draft. So we've already picked ahead of time. Mark is going to pick first, I'm going to pick second, and Erica will pick third. And then in the second round, we'll go backwards. So Erica goes fourth, I go fifth, and Mark goes sixth. We're going to do four rounds, and we're going to go ahead, and we are going to try to pick what we think are most likely to be on the list of the broader Christmas canon. I guess we're limiting ourselves, I guess, likely to America or to what we are part of in our culture. And we may have to, at a on our next podcast or an after talk in the future, see how we did. I don't think in a goal not to cheat, I didn't look at IMDb rankings or maybe some other things that would indicate what the right answers are. Mark's going to pick first, and we're going to mercilessly criticize his choice. Let's do or it. wholeheartedly agree with his choice. And so help me, Mark, if you pick the one I have, I'm going to burn your house to the ground. No, I won't. Just electrocute him with some Christmas lights. Yeah. 
I was trying to think what you guys would pick as, as number one, and there were definitely— There is some strategy here. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You want to do a value pick. All right, so uh, let's just start. It's a Wonderful Life. Totally uncontroversial, I would say. Strange that it's an over two-hour film and that it's so old, 1946, that it inevitably has weird— If it wasn't for her husband, she would be the, the town spinster librarian. It has weird— weird dated stuff like that but like it's actually still effective i've seen it recently and despite my atheism and my general disdain for anything with angels in it yeah this works and i think has retained its if it's stayed famous that long i don't know why it wouldn't continue indefinitely that is a spectacular first pick yes it is that was number one on my list i tend to think that as Things skew younger, there's going to be more splintering of what people cherish, but there is certainly an older generation for whom this is, I think, the universal pick, and there's just going to be a broad swath. Maybe not the IMDb voters. We'll have to figure out how to see what really is the canon if we even bother doing that, but I think that's a really, really a strong choice. All right. I think if you just believe hard enough, then that is the canon, <laughs> as is the theme of some of our films here. <laughs> Pick number two, I'm going to find airing on some network or other for 48 hours straight, 24 hours straight, and that would be A Christmas Story, a movie I don't actually like that much. Maybe because I've seen it too many times, but I feel like there is a crazy cult around this movie. Again, this is skewing older. This idea of, is it set in the 50s? I'm not... It's the 40s. Okay. I think it speaks to the small town... Christmas experience of so many people and it is so loved by so many people and the major reward and you'll shoot your eye out and fragile and the tongue sticking to the pole. It really is part of our culture. I remember thinking it was so clever when I first saw it and now I saw it recently and it was sort of, eh. but I get it. I totally understand its charm. I feel the same way about it. I remember when I was a kid, it was one of my favorites to watch and I agree. I don't know if it was oversaturation or just maturation on my part, but like now it, it makes me angry when I see it on TV all the time. Wow. <laughs> it does not inspire the Christmas spirit in me at all. Now, when I watch the scenes out of context every once in a while, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that is super charming, but I'm just so tired of it now. Mark, you were in a play or a group interpretation of a short story by a Gene Shepard a story by the same yeah. author. Do you still see that as clever? Have you looked back at a Christmas story or the other story you were involved with? So I read a bunch of Gene Shepard stuff. The book that this is based on in God, we trust all others pay cash. I think Gene Shepard is a great memorist. And I remember seeing a Christmas story in the theater with my mother and her mother. So that was like, my mother grew up in Indiana so this was like there around the time period and the environment. So I felt a, a connection to that and through this greater familiarity with Gene Shepard, the individual short story was called Lost at Sea, the letter C, which I actually played Flick, who's in this movie, the guy who gets his tongue attached to the pole. That is so you, Mark. So yes, I have a difficult time separating this from my past enjoyment of it. But last time I saw this, which was several years ago, I did still like the movie. I'm intrigued by the fact that there were attempts at sequels, neither of which I've seen in full. My Summer Story with Charles Grodin as the dad, and then A Christmas Story 2 from 2012, 
Daniel Stern as the narrator on that since Gene Shepard himself, who was the narrator on this movie, was dead by then. And they're both notoriously terrible. So I'm just intrigued by the, the whole uh, endeavor. That's actually a nice um, segue into my number one pick, which also starred Daniel Stern. I'm going with Home Alone. Home Alone was the highest grossing Christmas movie up until 2018 when The Grinch overtook that. But I'm not even going to talk about that film because that's not on my list. But Home Alone is. It was pretty well critically received. People continue to watch it. Started off, well, actually it was, it didn't, I don't know that it started off Macaulay Culkin's career, but it definitely put him into another level and spurred lots more work with him. We also have the comedic geniuses of Joe Pesci and one Daniel Stern and one of my favorite people, Catherine O'Hara. And the soundtrack was composed by John Williams. So you have to love that. It was also written by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. So all together, I feel like it's a good all around pick. I think it is very well liked. I don't like the movie that much. It was on my list because I do know a lot of people do like it. I have enjoyed seeing analyses of how many times the wet bandits would have been murdered by uh, (laughs) the shenanigans or like how many times they would have been put in the hospital with their teeth bashed in. I mean, it's it's absurd. The uh, cartoon level of the booby traps that the Macaulay Culkin character subjects the house burglars to. It doesn't do much for me, that movie, I admit. The more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I really do like this movie. And it's it's not because of the wet banded stuff. I mean, I think that has a lot of classic physical comedy in it. But I never loved anything that was just cruelly hurting other people, even though he actually does have some some grounds in which to do it. But if you think back to like the scene where he's in the church and listening to the choir and talking to the old man, and to me, that was just so heartwarming and so Christmas. Maybe this does have something to do with your sort of underlying religious affiliation. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, that despite what you say your beliefs are, I'm certainly not religious, have not been in a church other than a uh, occasionally like a Unitarian church when visiting my folks for years and years and years. But I have those associations and I think it becomes an underlying instinct that when you're getting serious and you're getting compassionate or something, then something of that old churchy thing clicks in. And and so movies like Home Alone in that scene in the church, and they play onto that sentiment that people raised in that tradition have. To me, honestly, I, I love old men. So I love old <laughs> okay. men who seem grouchy that you get in there and there's just a soft underbelly. So maybe it was more that than the the church scene, but there was still something really beautiful about that little choir to me. So old men as a topic for a future podcast. (laughs) I'm happy to do a whole thing on old men. Yes. So we're through our first round. I have to ask if each of you actually prepared a list of 12. So you would have something to name. I have a lot of things on here. Okay. Just just curious. I have a bunch. I'm kind of (laughs) deciding as we go, which. Okay. I have 12 and so far Everything listed has been on my list, so that's for good or bad. You are back up, Erica. Let's run it backwards. Oh, that's the way it works. All right, all right. So you're going to take my pick of Rush Hour 3. I thought we... uh... (laughs) Okay, go ahead. (laughs) This is the snake part of the snake I see. It snakes back and forth. Gotcha. So far, we're pretty much in agreement that these three are good picks universally for the three of us. They're on my list of 12, so I'm, I'm all good with them. All right, we're going to go with my next one, which I almost didn't do, and it kept coming back to me, and I had to do it anyway. Nightmare Before Christmas. 
Whoa. Not on my list. Go ahead. I almost didn't put it on because I tend to want to watch this around Halloween. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? But it is a Christmas movie, and it has themes of Christmas and of, of wanting to belong and wanting to do good for people and learning how to accept yourself. And it's a great film. One of the reasons I added this on here is it's, in my opinion, unlike any of the other films. So it kind of stands alone in terms of the type of animation it is and the darkness, like the outright darkness that it is. It's not extremely sentimental, but it does have some of those elements. It's a weird Christmas movie, and I think it definitely deserves a place in the canon. And that's from the 90s, right? Yes. I have not seen it since I saw it in the theater and not since. And I think that's maybe why it's not on my radar is that I just need to find time with it because I I remember enjoying it. But for whatever reason, maybe in this streaming world we're living in, if I haven't been exposed to it enough, I have to uh, seek it out. You know, it's one of those that I don't know if it's just because my family's weird. I don't think it's just because of that. I think kids are a lot darker than we usually give them credit for. And kids tend to like this movie a lot. They like creepy things. It's got a great score too that's also fairly creepy and it stands a li- like I I just like listening to the soundtrack on its own as well. I know Danny Elfman had done score things before but he hadn't actually sung in something so one of my uh 80s rock heroes from Oingo Boingo sort of the Halloween band you might consider them that he actually sings the main character parts and then you know the fact that it's a Tim Burton and I didn't really separate out Henry Selleck, the actual director who kind of created this animation style and then went on and did it with a a number of other things. I just associated that for a long time with Tim Burton until Selleck did like Coraline and some other things without Tim Burton. Right. I know. I always think of that too. You're right. Thank you for mentioning that because I think that's an important thing. Tim Burton gets so much of the credit, which arguably he should, but you're right. And I just learned that Tim Burton didn't direct this question mark. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Exactly. It is weird. He's a writer. I'm also pointing out that my top two picks so far have been Catherine O'Hara movies. I'm just really obsessed with her right now because she's just killing it in Schitt's Creek. The Catherine Cannon. All right. Yeah. Plus Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens, does some voices in that post-shame so he could be... Oh, reintroduced to us. Sort of, you know, his voice a little bit. All right, Bri. Okay, so far we have no TV specials in our first four. And I will continue that trend by picking the movie Elf Mm. with Will Ferrell from 2003, which I know a lot of people really, really like. And it's a Christmas tradition to watch it. And I don't love Will Ferrell, but I really enjoy him in this movie. Oh my God. I thought we were so much alike. He's so... (laughs) <laughs> Ernest, well, that would be a pretty boring podcast, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think the uh, director, John Favreau, is just magic. He manages to make things that shouldn't be as good as they are really pretty good. Sometimes great. That's true. Including The Mandalorian. We'll come back to that in the future, I'm sure. I was prepared not to like Elf. I watched it because I felt like I had to, and it turns out I, I really enjoy the movie, and now I do watch it. And I don't know, I, I think there's a lot of buzz around this movie at Christmas time, and it it still makes me happy to watch it. I I don't have a lot more to go on than that, but I think it should be pretty high up there. That's great. I want to add a little experience with this. So I I do enjoy the movie. That is one of the traditions in our house, and it's something that I think the comedy holds up, that you can watch him picking gum off the bottom of the railing and trying to eat it several times, and it's still funny. But this is part of a trend of making musicals out of often Disney 
products, but I guess this is a non-Disney similar thing. So my daughter through a summer camp was in a version of Elf the Musical and my niece was in a different version as well. And it's not a good, like the songs are not good. In fact, at the end, you know, at the end of the movie, spoiling it, they sing a Christmas song. And in the musical, I guess because they didn't have rights to the Christmas song or they wanted to create new songs. So the song is like about singing Christmas songs. Like, in other words, to give everyone the Christmas spirit, Jolie sings. I wish I could remember it offhand, but it's like, sing it loud for all to hear when you feel that Christmas cheer. Sing it like that's the song <laughs> as opposed to just actually singing. What's the one that they actually do in the movie? They actually did baby. It's cold outside. Yes. But in oh. the, in the climactic scene, Santa Claus is coming to town uh. instead of actually singing. <laughs> so I thought that was bizarre. I did also recently about that baby. It's cold outside that that was not in the original script. And it's just that the John Favreau found out that, Zoe Deschanel could sing? Yes, exactly. And so they threw that shower scene in there. All right, Mark, back to you for number six. I'm going to have to go with the first actual TV special, which is The Grinch, the best version of a Dr. Seuss story. We need to add to this lump the fact that there were two movies that I'm sure some people like, and especially the more recent one we'll watch repeatedly, but the original was just uh, so concise and it has... Better songs than are in Elf the Musical, Yahoo Dore, Fahoo Fore, Welcome Christmas Singer, etc. And great narration and the Grinch song by itself would merit its inclusion. For those playing at home, that would be How Would the Grinch Stole Christmas? Yes. Not The Grinch? I believe there's a follow-up about <laughs> Halloween or something. Dr. Seuss's The Grinch is 2018. Right, and How the Gr- Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey one, is back in, what, 2000? And even though it has its dark moments, and frankly, a few scary moments for a little kid, that part where the Grinch's heart grows, it has that little bit of Christmas sweetness without being treacly that I... Uh, treacly. I like that. That was next up for me. I, I was like, That's a really good choice, and I think that holds up. I have seen it recently. It really is a nice little gem of the Christmas season. It's you again, Mark. It's you again. Oh, gosh. I know. I'm starting to get nervous because it's going to be so long before I get to say anything again. And I I hope you guys don't take all my picks. (laughs) It's like playing Scrabble and hoping nobody is looking at that one part of the tile that that you want. So I was thinking I'm going to let somebody else have the thing. Do what you got to do, Mark. It's your pick. Pick for value. All right. I want to say a Christmas carol. But what is weird about that is that there's not one version that is canonical that everybody watches all the time. I feel like you have to pick one. I, you have to pick one. So I'm going to pick the one that is actually repeated in our house, thanks to my wife, which is 1983's Mickey's Christmas Carol, which is the Christmas Carol story, but then also some classic uh, Mickey Mouse type cartoons, Donald and his nephews throwing snowballs at each other. I feel like those sort of original sources... Oh, Mickey's the center of Disney. I don't know how many kids have actually seen a Mickey Mouse cartoon. (laughs) So if you're going to see one, this little set with Pluto fighting Chippendale and this Christmas Carol thing. So it serves two purposes. It's the Christmas Carol story and reminding us that Mickey Mouse was actually a thing. Terrible pick. Terrible pick, Mark. (laughs) There's no way that's going to be on the list. And you're right. And that's the problem is it has been done so many times. And I don't know. I don't want to steal someone else's pick here, but there are so many good versions. And I think in aggregate, it's pretty high up on the list, but there is not one definitive one to my mind. A different one, Erica, I don't want, if it's it's one of your picks, I'm not going to. 
I do have a personal favorite of that, yes. But I don't know if I should reveal it yet just because who knows if it'll come up. I'm suggesting we not take another spot on the list for multiple versions of Christmas Carol, which would no, no, make no. this. I totally disagree, Mark. If someone has a better pick than your stupid pick, they should take it. <gasps> and, and I'm next. So I'm going to take, yeah, I'm going to, no, I won't. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to go with a Christmas special, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh. I think a lot of kids still love Charlie Brown. This is one that comes up when we start seeing the bogus war on Christmas. We can't air a Charlie Brown Christmas anymore because there's only one black kid at the table and he's sitting at a lower chair, which I don't know. I hadn't heard that. Okay. Yeah, I I guess. uh, Come on, man. You're killing me. Poor little Charlie Brown's tree is so iconic still to this day. And I think so many people still love watching this from back in 1965 when it came out. So I think it's an easy pick for me to go with that one. And I, I loved it as a kid. I do love Charlie Brown Christmas, though, by the way. And I just started watching it again this morning. And there were a couple of lines that just got to me. And I had to write down in the beginning. He says, I know nobody likes me. Why do we have to have a holiday season to emphasize it? I'm sure we'll have a whole future episode on Charlie Brown at some point if there's another Peanuts movie or something that comes out that creates any sort of cultural impact. But I was obsessed with these things as a kid. So I got to talk about this a little bit. And we recorded them off of TV with a cassette recorder in front of the TV so I could listen to the audio again and again. And whenever we'd be talking about our dreams, this is when I was like three or four, and I'd be like, I dreamt about Charlie Brown Christmas. I'm sure I never actually dreamt about Charlie Brown Christmas, but I would say that because I wanted to participate in the conversations telling about our dreams. And this was my go-to. I learned that... There was a version that was created by the network with a laugh track. Oh, (laughs) terrible. I think that they were worried that people wouldn't like what was happening. They wanted to maybe cut the Jesus-y scene at the end. And this is actually what I had in mind when I was saying before about how, at least for kids programmed into Christianity at a certain during a certain era, I think this is part of it. Like, oh, we're actually getting serious now. That means that you rejoice in peace on earth and goodwill toward men, as Jesus tells you. Go on. Is it me next? Yes. It is you. It's getting hard because my next one was going to be a Charlie Run Christmas. So, okay, this is where we get down to the nitty gritty for me. There's one that's been on my list the whole time, and I don't know if it's just because it's one of my favorites or if it should be in the canon. So I'm going to make an argument for it being canon because it kept coming up on my list, the various lists I would make. Last night when I mentioned to a friend that we were doing this podcast, this was the very first and only movie that she commented on. And that is Scrooged. This is one of the categories I was thinking of is, yes, the same as Mark, where we have to have the Christmas Carol story in there somewhere. And I considered Muppet Christmas Carol for myself as well, which I think is quite good. But I kept coming back to Scrooged. Gotta love Bill Murray. He's got his whole family in it. Like all his brothers are in this one. It reminds me of like a a really good precursor to... Groundhog Day, as I was watching scenes from it again, some excellent actors who were big in the 80s. Bobcat Goldthwait is in it. John Glover. We've got Carol Kane. Oh, and Alfrey Woodard. It felt so of the time and then also has this timeless story in it. And it was funny as I was like, I was looking up IMD me and I love reading the trivia about this kind of stuff. And evidently Bill Murray and Richard Donner, who was the director, hated working together. 
And I rewatched the scene at the end where he like has his aha moment and tells everybody like he's, you know, a network executive and he's telling everybody like, I get it now. And he just keeps yelling and screaming this whole thing. Well, evidently he made up a lot of stuff on the spot. He improvised a lot, which Donner was not crazy about, but this is what Bill Murray said about Donner. He said, it could have been a really great movie, but there's maybe one take in the final cut movie that is mine. We made it so fast. It was like doing a movie live. He kept telling me to do things louder, louder, louder. I think he was deaf. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. I just really enjoy this movie. How about you guys? Two things. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it also. And terrible pick. Same reason as Mark. (laughs) Are you going to pick one of them? No, I'm not. And I think we're done picking them. And I think that's the problem is that I... I feel like the Albert Finney one is that's the one I grew up on, and I sure. love that one. And later on, the Patrick Stewart one, I really, really liked that came out. I think oh, here's the list, 1999, and I loved the Muppet one, and I loved Scrooged. I never seen the Mickey one, and I bet I would like it. And it even showed up in some TV shows, the special episode where people saw what their life would be like. There was even it happened one Christmas. No, wait, that was. Not the Christmas Carol, that wasn't. It's a wonderful life knockoff. I just think it's been done too many times for anyone to rise to the list, to the top of the list, but I, I do really like Scrooge as an example of it. Not mentioning the Jim Carrey, Robert Zemeckis, <laughs> Uncanny Valley <laughs> version from 2009. I guess I'm not. Perhaps we're the wrong generation. We're going into the last round, so your next pick is your last one. If you don't say it and no one else says it, it won't be on the list. The shame will be yours. No one will ever watch it again. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure. It is. So get it right. I've got two that I'm debating between, and one is a super classic, and the other one is not. Okay, we're going to go with the super classic, White Christmas. I did not go with Holiday Inn for what I believe is the obvious reason, which is a scene that has since been cut that's racist. Where they're doing blackface musical? That that is correct. They both have some great songs. White Christmas, though, man, I just I love me some Bing, and I love Count Your Blessings. Um, it's one of my favorite moments, and a song that I also sing quite a bit with, with my mom and my family. Rosemary Clooney and Bing Crosby, absolutely lovely. Maybe just for the music alone should go into the canon. Whoa. I haven't seen it. I've heard the music. Oh. Can't comment on whether I would enjoy watching the movie. I think that probably says it all, that if one of us hasn't even seen it, then it probably should not be considered canonical. But I think... So the Jew born in the 70s <laughs> hasn't seen a Christmas musical in the 50s? I don't know. Exactly. So how many things have actually made it to us that It's a Wonderful Life is such a crazy exception or The Wizard of Oz, like for any film to be widely seen that's that old is just, you know, is some sort of major achievement of marketing or posterity, etc. But I've seen all of these and I'm younger than you guys. Well, you're also a music theater nerd. So <laughs> there you go. Boom. Actually, but honestly, like Jimmy Stewart is one of my favorite actors of all time, just because like who doesn't love Jimmy Stewart for just being Jimmy Stewart? You know, he just has a beautiful natural way about him. But honestly, as I was thinking about it, I've only seen It's a Wonderful Life one time. And why? Because it feels depressing. And I would rather watch something that is light and funny on Christmas than something that makes me sad. I have seen White Christmas and Holiday and and investigated some of those other things, but all as an adult, you know, as we're sort of looking at things to show to the kids or to experience, go back. Yeah, they're definitely 
things about those old romantic comedies that deserve an episode <laughs> in themselves. I have a quick update. Uh, Erica and I are no longer friends. You know, you're, you're not supposed to <laughs> break friendships because of how people voted, but if they don't agree with you and it's a wonderful life, that's a problem. So, oh, you really? Oh man, do I love that movie. How many oh times have you seen it? Well, I used to watch it a couple times a year back when it was on PBS and we only got the four stations or the five stations. Uh, now I try to watch it every couple of years. I'm not saying it's not a good movie. Clearly it's a good movie. It has great reviews, but to me, it's like when I go to see a film that I'm really excited about because it has Oscar buzz. Those are not usually movies that I go back and watch again and again because there's something about them that even though they're really good, maybe it's just because it's not an easy watch. There's a darkness to them that's hard to go back to sometimes. Gotcha. Okay, I have a new update. We're friends again. Okay, thanks. And for pick number 11, I realize of my 12, six have not been named yet. So that's a problem for me. Wow. Okay. I know. I got it wrong. I didn't know it was in your heads. Oh, man. I feel like just being a gadfly at this point and not even picking one I think is on the list. Come on, come on, come on, now, come there's on. There's this thing that happens in sports radio for some reason. There's this huge argument over whether the following movie is even a Christmas movie. Oh, no, no. All right. I've been waved off. I'll go. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm switching. No, I'm going to go with one that I know is, <laughs> is widely beloved even though a lot of people have problems with it. So I'm going to go with the 2003 classic Love Actually, which I still really, really like. I forgot, having watched it on TV so many times, that there was an entire plot line that had been cut with Martin Freeman, and I wish I remembered the actress's name, who play stand-ins on pornographic movie sets who have this cute little relationship budding as they're just sitting in there for the lighting. I know there's uh, some criticism of this movie that it, women are treated like objects throughout and it has some other things about it that are, I think, seen as, as very contrived. But I must say, just watching it, it makes me feel pretty happy. And it also is good to have on in the background because I've seen it enough times. I know exactly what's happening and the dialogue is sharp and the music is a key part of it. You don't have to have your eyeballs on it to be watching it. So we're going to go with that as my, my final pick to get on the list. I think it's great to have a rom-com on there. I have my own personal rom-com, which we'll get to later, but this is, yeah, I think that's, it's pretty beloved. I know there's some hate out for it. There's some fat jokes, a lot of fat jokes, not like here's a character who's fat, but just like comments about people's weight in a way that you would not see in a movie now. That's kind of the thing that struck me. So it may not age real well is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Like we still might be okay with it, but in another 10 years, are people going to love it the same way? Yeah, that's hard with everything. I just started rewatching Cheers and some parts of it are so sharp and funny and other parts you just know you're going to have to get through because it just, you can't watch it through the 2019 filter of a show made in the eighties. It's just not going to work. Well, yeah. So like what the, with these fifties and sixties Christmas specials, we have the misogyny. Well, and also like basically racism because even if we don't have overt racism, we have a complete lack of characters of any color other than white in a lot of these films. And then in the last, what, 10 years ago, it started to become about weight. What's it going to be? What's the new one going to be? Well, it is weird enough just to see Andrew Lincoln of The Walking Dead talking with his real accent. That's the most startling thing about this film. It is, yeah. <laughs> I think Love actually does pretty good on the race aspect, but it it's so heteronormative. 
surprisingly so for when it was made. I think that's a real failing of that movie or it was an opportunity lost in any case. All right, Mark, you're going to bring us home. Why don't you do the one that I wouldn't say or do your own? I got to feel like some of these picks are just because you guys don't have kids. I'm going to say I'm (laughs) have a superior insight. Could be. So there are multiple ones that really need to be on this list. I'm going to just name the one that I think holds up best among them, which is Frosty, the snowman of the Rankin Bass Productions. It's not one of the claymation things. Obviously, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is the other one that is, you know, that weird, I want to say claymation, but it's not clay. It's uh, stop motion. Rudolph is actually, I don't like it. <laughs> like we tried showing it to my kids at one point and like there were parts that were too scary and there are parts that are just twisted. But Frosty the Snowman is one they would beg for that just my daughter as a one-year-old frosty 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 (laughs) obsessed with frosty you know i can't and singing the song the personal connections (laughs) that one has to these things um despite the fact that i think objectively it's kind of bad (laughs) that i actually can barely stand to watch it myself now and i try if i ever have to to show it in spanish (laughs) Frosty el muñeco de nieve. I really enjoy it. We have the DVD turning on the Spanish version. <laughs> what are your thoughts regarding this and other uh, animated childhood things which have been left off the list largely? I remember Frosty and Rudolph and some of the others being on TV, but I honestly really don't remember watching them. So yeah, I can't say it was a generational thing because I know they were on TV they just, I don't think they like caught my attention in the same way. For me, I had other, like Mickey's Christmas Carol, I did watch a lot when I was a kid. I liked that a lot. But there were some other ones that I watched as a kid that just wasn't one of them. But I can understand why it would be in the canon. I thought about it simply because with that and Rudolph, they've kind of stood the test of time. You had you have classic songs in each one. But yeah, I guess I would pick Frosty over Rudolph. It kind of gave me Ajita as a kid with the hat and the melting. <laughs> I remember saying to my mother, this is giving me Ajita. <laughs> Probably didn't. But a lot of those older ones were kind of scary. I forget the one with Mr. Heatmiser and Mr. That is Santa Claus is coming to town. There was just some scary moments in those for little kids, I think. But yeah, naming those classics. So Frosty and Rudolph, I think Frosty does hold up a little better. Do you know what I'm really surprised that we didn't have on this list? Like, really surprised as I'm looking through it, and it was almost on my list, and then I just took it off? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That was on my list. It was originally on my list, and I kept thinking about it, because it's one of those that I've seen multiple times. And then I was like, well, did I just like it because it was popular when I was growing up? Because I haven't watched it in a long time now. Would I still like it? And I kept having these doubts about it actually holding up, so I just ended up not putting it on. Yeah, I didn't like it that much, but I know a lot of people do. Some people quote it on Facebook, and I have to unfollow them until Christmas is over because it's like, come on, man. Shitter's full. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I feel like it was a lot of stuff that I may have liked when I was a little kid, you know, that was shocking and as a child, but I don't think I would love it as much now. All right, quickly, this is how things ended up. Mark picked It's a Wonderful Life, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the original, Mickey's Christmas Carol, and Frosty the Snowman. Erica picked Home Alone, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Scrooged, and White Christmas. And Brian, I picked A Christmas Story, Elf, A Charlie Bone Christmas, and Love Actually. And the winner is me, clearly. So good job, both of you, for playing. I think we put 
kind of a Frankenstein monster of a list together. I can't believe we don't have a miracle on 34th street and we don't have Rudolph the red nosed reindeer and Erica talked me out of picking Die Hard. So what other classics are not on the list? How did we mess this thing up? The things that were on my list that I almost considered saying Merry Christmas, Mr. Bean. I rewatched it. Wasn't as funny as I remembered it being, but there was definitely some things that were still funny. And I almost thought it should, should go on because it was something in a time when we weren't getting a ton of stuff from Britain that did cross the pond successfully. And there was a film made after it. And also spurred the uh, Monica with the turkey on her head scene from Friends. Gremlins was on my list for a while, but then I was thinking of that in the same vein that I thought of as uh, Die Hard, right? No, but they're totally different though. Because Gremlins can still happen without Christmas, but Die Hard can't. But the second movie or any of the other movies, it's not a Christmas canon. It's, it's, not, it's not a movie that is a Christmas movie, right? It's a movie set at Christmas that came out in July, I could say Shazam was a Christmas movie because there was stuff that took place at Christmas time, like everything took place at Christmas time in a Christmas village, especially at the end. But Shazam is a superhero movie, and it came out also in the summer. Agree to disagree. No longer friends. No longer friends. I've been witness having kids during the past 18 years. Things try to get in the canon, so I think it's amazing that Elf actually made it. I agree. Whereas uh, Polar Express I had on my list... I don't know if people still, that's another Robert Zemeckis uncanny valley thing. And I don't know whether that makes it so that it cannot be a classic because it has this very dated, immediately dated animation, even though it's Tom Hanks and this classic story and et cetera. How about, was this on your list? The Claymation Christmas. I saw that on one of the lists of one of the articles, but I had never actually heard of it or seen it. We watched that all the time at my house. Especially if you just want to look up a scene from it that we thought was hilarious, was Carol of the Bells. And one of the bells like keeps hitting himself. But I don't think that you could even play that anymore because he was like the dumb bell and he like kept hitting himself and making a, a mess of things. I feel like it's kind of offensive now. You, you can't have a dumb bell? Well, it was like, you know, it's like a dunce capped kind of bell. Yeah, that's perhaps a, a topic for another time. I don't know what's okay anymore. That's what I'm I, saying. Well, nothing's okay. So <laughs> so there you go. There has to be some way of making fun of people with lower intelligence without actually picking out people with developmental disabilities or something. Like Because all of us do dumb things and like are the dumbbell. Like, as long as it's potentially universalizable, it has to be okay. That's true. The Fool has been in theater since the beginning of time. When I think that gets to what we were calling the hot takes and the dark horses of things that we wouldn't bother putting on our list because we know they're not going to be there, but just those Christmas things that bring us happiness. And not to belabor that with a lot of choices, but the one that comes to mind for me is the very first episode of The Simpsons where Christmas is ruined and Homer doesn't get his bonus and the Christmas money is spent on getting Bart's tattoo removed, but they end up at the dog track and... Santa's little helper ends up coming home and he's the Christmas gift for the family. And it launched The Simpsons as a TV show. And I've seen it so many times and I just rewatched it when I got Disney Plus and it, it really holds up. It is amazing how much they were getting right early on on that show. And that is a, has a very warm place in my heart. Do you guys have things that would never be on the list but are part of your personal Christmas canon? 
All right. So one of my favorites is Sandy Bullock's While You Were Sleeping. I thought if I had to pick a rom-com that I loved, Love Actually would be up there, but I would actually say While You're Sleeping is probably my favorite romantic comedy Christmas movie. But I didn't assume it would ever be widely enough received to be in the canonical list. I thought it was perfectly charming when I saw it, but I don't think I've seen it since. That is one that my wife pulls out. We own it on DVD. And so, yeah, we probably see that. I don't know if I sit through it, but I've definitely sat through it. I think last year I watched it. Another one in that category is the Nicolas Cage vehicle Family Man. I have never seen. Should I see that? Yeah, it's kind of another version variation on the It's a Wonderful Life slash I was going to say Scrooge because it's a wonderful, just something weird and metaphysical happens that makes you look at what might have been. And yeah, I remember we saw that in the theater. So it might have just been a particular me and my wife kind of thing. But like, I feel like it does hold up very well. And Tia Leone is, I remember Brian referring to somebody as his TV girlfriend. Well, she, she's great. <laughs> she's awesome. That's your girl, huh? Mm-hmm. Now, actually, I have to take a step back. I don't remember While You Were Sleeping being a Christmas movie. Like, I don't remember it happening around Christmas, so I may be calling Die Hard on this one. Does Christmas, is it necessary for the story? Or is it just happening around Christmas? So I know they, they invite her over for Christmas, and there's a big part of the story where she's kind of like alone by herself most of the time, and the family invites her over, and it's the first time she's actually experienced a family like that. So there is definitely a very Christmas element to it. Whether or not it has to have that in it, I suppose it could be a Thanksgiving movie. Well, I think so. I think the whole like reason she meets him, or at least one of the things that's discussed at the time, is because she's able to work on Christmas because she doesn't have a family. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so we are agreed that Die Hard and While You Were Sleeping are both Christmas movies. Sure. You're trying to get home for Christmas. Excellent. You're trying to... Sure. <laughs> Very good. But I don't know if it doesn't have Santa in it, then it's not a Christmas. Is that the... <laughs> now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Any other hot takes? I was reminded on the one of the lists of this All of the Other Reindeer, which seemed like another attempt to get in the canon, that it was Drew Barrymore and Michael Stipe singing something and all these other, but I don't actually remember it hitting, you know, I remember it coming out and it being promoted a lot, but then had not heard of it again until seeing this here. So I have a question. Are we whittling down our list of 12 to 10, or are we just calling the 12 the canon? 10 doesn't divide by three, so no, we're going to stick with no, that's why. No, that's why it becomes a fight. <laughs> so we got to kick something off? If- <laughs> yeah, because it either means somebody ends up having only one of theirs, or two of us have one knocked off, and one person gets to keep theirs intact. We consolidate the Christmas carols. I think that is a legitimate move. <laughs> Because as Brian said, there is no one version. Both of our picks were bad as far as that goes. But since every, like, it is a trope, let's say that. See, I keep, again, confusing it with It's a Wonderful Life in terms of every sitcom did a version of one of these. Right. Yeah. And I think Dallas turned it on its head, right? Didn't JR get to see how everyone's life would be like if he wasn't born and everyone had a really nice life? (laughs) Didn't that happen on, on Dallas? I think I it never, did. never saw that show. So. But that only gets us down to a top 11, and I don't know how we could consolidate. Kick love actually off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Go. I'm going to get rid of <laughs> oh, something else there before I get rid of Brian that. Brian is not happy. <laughs> I think we just stay with the top 12. That's what we put together. That's what we have. I also noticed that a lot of things that I feel are similar in Christmas movies, and maybe this is just in 
in any sort of storytelling is that somebody always believes they're special in some way and they're not getting their due, right? So it can either be the person like the Scrooge character, right, who believes that I've earned these things and I give jobs to people and I give them the bare minimum, which is more than a lot of people can afford to give, so that's enough, and therefore I am owed certain things. Or you have, like, in rewatching Charlie Brown Christmas, he doesn't like the commercialism of Christmas, but he's not particularly nice to a lot of the other people either. And one of the things that his sister says after she gives him her Christmas list, she says, all I want is what I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share. And I was like, that's, that could sum up so many of these. It's like, we all believe this in some way and that like we all connect to these movies in some way. And it just made me feel like bad about humanity. Cause I'm like, I do the same thing, right? I think, yeah, I identify with this character because I really feel screwed on Christmas or I feel depressed on Christmas. And in a way that makes a great story, right? Because it's something we can connect to. But are we actually learning anything? If we keep going back to those same things and keep learning that like we need to change or the things around us need to change, we're not that special. The world shits on you and Christmas maybe makes it better for one day. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just think we all need to really think about ourselves and that we all potentially are Scrooge. We all like to watch the Scrooge story thinking like we're the Bob Cratchit. But I think we're all a bit of Scrooge. Not all. I am. I don't know if anybody else is, but I assume more of us are Scrooge than not, or else we wouldn't need to keep telling the story. Now, one thing I noticed on this list is that the newest thing we have is 2003. I had it in my mind that one of the problems with having a cultural canon, I guess, is that it should be set in stone. And of course, new things come out all the time. And I was thinking about making an argument that this whole thing might not work because a new property can come out and push things off the list, but I guess this is more ossified than I thought it would be. Maybe that's because we're old. Well, I think we're all aware that things come and go quite often. So the last thing that was on there you said was 2002? 2003 for both Elf and Love Actually, yeah. So we gave a good 16 years to make sure we were still watching it. I think that's pretty solid. There's been some good stuff that's come out since then, and I definitely saw some some of those things that were on other lists, other aggregates, but I wasn't ready to put them on there yet. When we redo this in 2039, we'll see how this changed. And we should get someone who's a child, get my son or somebody who's been a child more recently or is a child now to see what, because I'm you know interested in what when a kid sees something and finds it so delightful that they immediately want to watch it again and again and again. So I think Frozen... Does Frozen count as a Christmas movie? I've never seen it. They're cold. Is it Christmas or is it just like winter? I mean, not winter, but it's like where they live. I don't know. Well, it's actually only cold because the Ice Queen makes it cold. <laughs> like it's not even, but I feel like because it has that wintry theme and you can dress it up in holly or something, you know, something about the aesthetic of it that makes it so definitely my kids brought it up. You know, there's a reason Frozen 2 just came out now as opposed to during the summer. So I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of makes it in. You know, maybe what's becoming the tradition is not so much watching the same thing over and over again as just watching some holiday stuff. Like, and that's, of course, what the marketing machine wants it to be because they want to service up new holiday stuff all the time. I guess, you know, if they could keep making the same money from putting Charlie Brown Christmas on the air, like, well, they do like that. But it just seems like once you make it so somebody can just buy the DVD and never interact with your money-making machine again, then something has gone wrong. So there's – I don't know. Did we want to talk for a second about 
I know you said, Erica, you watched that new Netflix Claws thing. Like, was that just terrible or was that a reasonable attempt? Klaus. Uh, Klaus. Because, you know, it's a spin. I thought it was a really interesting take on the Santa origin story. Once again, like, I think this goes back to what you were saying. I'm not a child, so it's not something I'm like, I got to see that again. That's a classic. But I would like to think if I were a child and I saw it, it'd be something I'd like to see over and over. I liked that. What about Noel? I didn't see that one yet, but I heard it was a nice, like, feminist take on the Christmas canon. I did see that with my family, you know, getting the Disney Plus. I thought it was terrible myself, but the family liked it. So <laughs> I think it's more a variation on Elf than anything else, that it's kind of, it's Anna Kendrick running around being goofy and fish out of water in the same way Will Ferrell is an Elf. But yeah, there are just weird things about that that made me uh, <laughs> not crazy about it. You know what ranked pretty well in, a, in some of these lists was Krampus, which I did not see. And I now I'm going to have to make a point to see that one. Have you guys seen that? No. Uh, I started watching it. I didn't stay with it. Similarly, I mean, not similarly in genre, but Bad Santa was mm. highly recommended to me. And I just didn't think it was that funny. It was just a little too coarse for me. I agree. Me too. You're sentimental. Dig that, yeah. I, I admit I have not sought out any new Christmas properties this year. At Mark's recommendation, I watched the Riff Tracks version of the Star Wars holiday special, mm-hmm. and I just laughed myself silly watching that last night. That was a great recommendation, Mark. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed the heck out of that. Well, and the version that is public is like stripped down to 33 minutes or something, whereas the original, I don't remember how long it is, but it is interminable. Like <laughs> these long, like. Harvey Corman and B. Arthur sketches that are just just painful. Yeah, I think riffing an abridged version of that is definitely the way to go. That was really good. All right. Well, I, I think this is uh, good enough for now. Maybe next This is a long one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what gets cut. <laughs> All of your contributions, Brian, will be <laughs> stirred. Str- Ooh. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a happy holidays. And uh, please, yes, put this on repeat. This episode. Happy Hanukkah, tribesmen. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by OpenCulture.com.